Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. I was having a thought this morning uh, about how we can better engage at home. And I was reminded of when I was much younger in the 80s, 6am every morning, get this, they had uh, aerobics Oz style. And at 6am, Monday to Friday, they would have aerobics in the morning. And uh, the idea was that you'd get up and you wouldn't just watch the show, you would actually engage with it. So you'd do the exercises with those that were doing the exercise on the screen. And it got me thinking, you know, you could watch those aerobics but if you didn't actually do them yourself, you actually wouldn't get any benefit from it. It was only as you got engaged in what was on the screen that you were going to benefit from it. And I think for us, we're sitting at home, but I want you to engage with me as we share and come around the Word of God today. Don't just uh, dial out, but really engage with us. Put on your leg warmers, put on your, put on your light crew this morning and, uh, and let's uh, engage together. And hopefully, spiritually speaking, we'll be fitter and stronger as a result. How's that sound? Does that sound good? Fantastic. And this morning, we are continuing, as I've already mentioned, our series on the book of Philippians called Joyful. Joyful. We're looking at having a generous and content life. And basically, it's a quick survey of the book of Philippians. Philippians was written by the Apostle Paul, who found himself in prison. And so like us, he was quarantined and isolated. And he wrote this letter for a couple of reasons. One was to thank them for their incredible, generous gift that they sent Paul while he was in jail. And Epaphroditus was a man who came and delivered that gift. And so first and foremost, he wanted to thank them for the gift. But secondly, he wanted to encourage them. He wanted them to keep their joy in the midst of their struggle. You see, they were living in uh, a Roman stronghold and their loyalty was very much to Caesar. And Paul was reminding them that they have a loyalty to another king and that of course is King Jesus. Probably the best way for me to describe that to you this morning would be like those of us in Adelaide living in Port Adelaide, okay, living in Port Adelaide, but remaining loyal to the Adelaide Crows. And so I don't know, I, I'm actually missing the AFL like never before because there's no games at the moment. And I know Port Power are on the top of the league. Every Port Power supporter will tell me that. But uh, I, I wanna encourage you, all you Adelaide Crows fans to stand firm and to stand strong and, and pledge your allegiance to King Crow this morning. The Crows, the Crows this morning. And so that, that's the nature behind Paul's writing this particular letter. They were in a Roman stronghold and uh, which was very much loyal to Caesar, but they were to remain loyal to Jesus. And he writes in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1, he says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then he says, make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one spirit and one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but to each of you in the interests of the others. You see, Paul had incredible passion for practice, but because it's interesting to note that Paul was an incredible theologian. 
He saw things and heard things and understood things that many, many others never got to see, know or understand. He was called up into the third heaven. So he had an incredible understanding and he had an incredible intellect. And if there was ever a man who loved the Word of God, it was Paul. He actually wrote you know, a big portion of the New Testament. And yet for all that he knew, he realised unless it was fleshed out, unless it was practised here on earth for people to see, then it was in vain. It was a waste of time. And so he says, don't be selfish. Don't be vain or conceited. He says, make my joy complete. Remember, joy is a big theme of this letter. He says, make my joy complete by being loving, kind and compassionate, much like you are, Mitch Jones. You're an incredible young man. You really are. In other words, what Paul is saying is that our life should be consistent with the good news about Jesus. It's not enough just to know stuff. Paul had a passion for practice. And so he wrote this letter. And to do this, he reminds them of the example that Jesus Christ Himself set. And secondly, he also encourages them to adopt the same attitude or mindset that Jesus had. And so today, my subtitle for my message is simply this, that your attitude determines your altitude. Your attitude determines your altitude. And so let's pick up this letter again in verse 5 of chapter 2. And it says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ, who, get this, who being very nature God, did not consider equality with God to be used to His own advantage. Rather, He made Himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. And He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to death and even death on a cross. This morning, in the short time that I have with you, I wanna highlight four things uh, that Paul is suggesting that you and I can learn from the life of Jesus. And the first thing he says in verse six is that He was surrendered. Jesus lived a surrendered life. He was a surrender man. He surrendered His divinity for humanity. In other words, He was fully God and yet He humbled Himself and took on the form of a human being. A quick couple of things about humility this morning because I don't know if we truly understand humility as we ought to. Firstly, humility is not weakness. Humility is actually a power under control. And we see this in the life of Jesus many times, but probably none so more than when He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's about to go to the cross. He's experiencing extreme pressure. He's sweating droplets of blood. And He says this, He says, if this cup can be removed. In other words, if, if what I'm about to go through can be done another way. If there's another way, Father, that we can achieve this salvation for humanity, then, then may it be removed. If there's, any other, if there's any other plan B, let me know right now. And the reality is, we know this according to Scripture, that Jesus actually had the power to call upon legions of angels to protect Him and defend Him and help Him in that moment. So He had all this power at His disposal and yet He chose not to use it. It was a power that was under control. And as a result, He answers His own question. He says, yet not my will. Not my will be done, but yours be done. See, humility is not weakness. Jesus was not weak. This, this notion that Jesus, meek and mild and weak, is not who He is. He was incredibly strong and powerful. He had a power and yet he, he brought that power under the control of the will of His Father. 
The Bible says it this way, he only ever did what he saw his father doing, which I find incredibly humbling. And so humility is, is not weakness. It's a power under control. And secondly, humility is not thinking of yourself less, but it's thinking of God more and others more. See, this notion of false humility says, I'm nothing, I'm useless. That's not humility, that's a false humility. The reality is the Bible says that you are the apple of His eye. You're the pinnacle of His creation. He saved His best work until last. And so let's not adopt this notion that you're useless and you're nothing. You are beautiful. Caleb Morris, you're an incredible young man with an incredible future. You really are. You're the apple of His eye, the pinnacle of His creation. So let's not adopt this false humility. But humility is really about not being so consumed with yourself, not having the narcissistic tendencies that we tend to see, particularly on social media. Have you noticed that? You know, it's all about me, myself and I. And, and what Paul's addressing is let's not have a me, myself and I mentality, but, but let's think about God. Let's think about others and, and let's have a spirit of humility. You see, the opposite of humility, of course, is pride. And pride makes everything about itself. No one can tell me what to do. We live our lives for ourselves. And what I know about pride is this, that pride always comes before a fall. Have you noticed that? Pride always comes before a fall. In actual fact, it was pride that made the devil the devil. See, the devil wasn't always the devil as we know him. The devil was an angelic being who went by the name of Lucifer. And he was a key, well, you'll love this, Morgan. He was the key worshipper in heaven. And uh, apparently over a period of time of worshipping God, he actually, he got sick of worshipping God and, and desired and wanted the worship for himself. Somewhere in the mix, he got self-conceited and wanted the worship for himself. And as a result, he was cast out of heaven. He was thrown down. Pride always comes before a fall. And we see that with the devil. And it's pride that made the devil the devil. In other words, you're never being more like the devil than when you're operating in pride. But when we surrender, He lifts us up. Here's the cool thing. Pride brings us down. Pride holds us down. Pride keeps us in a place where God doesn't want us to be. Pride can't say sorry. Pride can't say, I love you. Pride can't be generous and give. It's always got a reason why it doesn't give. I can't give because of COVID-19. I can't give because I've got a family. I can't give because I don't earn enough. Pride responds that way. But when we surrender our will to His, He lifts us up. The Bible says He exalts the humble. And as I've already mentioned, it's your attitude that determines your altitude. It's your attitude that determines how high we will go in this life. We read that God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave Him the name that is above every other name. And I believe where we would humble ourselves, God wants to lift you up and He wants to lift me up. He wants to lift us up as a church. And we need to humble ourselves for that to happen. And sadly, this is what I've learned to be true. If we don't humble ourselves, guess what? He'll do the humbling for us. In other words, we're going to experience humility one way or the other. But the good news is when God humbles us and circumstances humble us, God's intention is never to humiliate us. It's always to bring us to our senses. 
It's always to bring us back home. And that's what we learn from the prodigal, the prodigal son in Luke 15. It's about bringing people back to their rightful mind, bringing people back to their right senses. The prodigal in Luke 15 was found himself eating with the pigs and he came to his senses and he came home ultimately. So God never ever uh, allows us to be humbled in order to humiliate us, but in order to bring us home. And that's good news. And so we see this example that Jesus set is that He surrendered. Let's live a surrendered life. Remember, we're talking about joy and you'll never be more joyful than when we live surrendered. A lot of us don't feel the joy or experience the joy because we're too busy fighting God or fighting our husband or wife or fighting our children. But when we surrender, guess what? Peace comes and joy is the fruit. Secondly, we see that uh, the example Jesus set was that He served. In verse seven, we read that He took on the nature of a servant. In other words, Jesus came to serve and not be served, which is a paradox because He came as a king, but He came as a king that served. And we see uh, on many occasions, Jesus serving humanity and serving the disciples. On one occasion, we read that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. Talk about humility. He washed the disciples' feet. He was a servant by nature. And this, this nature of a servant was seen in some of Paul's team, particularly a man by the name of Timothy. In verses 20 and 22, uh, Paul brags about this young man, Timothy. He says, I have no one like Timothy. Timothy is the bomb.com. He's amazing. He's the best. He's much like you, Mitch Jones. He really is. Uh, because he's such a great servant. He doesn't live for himself. He's not full of pride. He's actually willing to help and to serve others. See, I believe with all my heart that serving is a part of following Jesus. You know, uh, I've been married to Kath for 28 years and uh, you get to know each other after 28 years, let me say. And uh, one of Kath's strongest love languages is that of serving. Kath loves me by serving. And uh, if you don't know your husband or wife's love language or your children's love language, I'd encourage you to do a little bit of homework and get the five love languages book. That will help you, I think. But for me, it's very obvious. Anyone who knows Kath knows that her love language is serving. And yet, that being true, when our kids were much younger, every one of our kids were given a job to do. You would think, man, if Kath's love language is serving, just let her serve. Let her love us. But uh, I was very intentional about making sure that our children had their jobs to do. And the question begs, to, why would you do that? If Kath's happy to serve, why wouldn't you just let her serve? Well, here's the reason why. One, because I want them to be like Jesus. And I know if Jesus was here on planet Earth, He wouldn't just let my wife do everything. He wouldn't. And secondly, because we want to share the load. Why? Because sharing is caring. Sharing is caring. Caring goes both ways. In other words, caring is both giving and it's receiving. You know, uh, as a church, particularly with the uh, inability to be able to connect with people face to face, we've been making a lot of pastoral care phone calls. And I want to give a quick shout out to the team. And you know who you are. And many of you would know who they are because you've received a call from them this week and the week before. And you get further calls this week coming because we just miss you and we want to know how you're doing. And we just want to know is everything okay? We're hearing great things. We're hearing some sad things. We're hearing some painful things. And we want to, we want to work this journey together, walk this journey together. We want to be with you. We want you to know that while we can't be with you 
in person. We are very much with you in spirit. And so lots and lots of phone calls are being made. And again, I just want to say thank you just for the team that is tirelessly serving and giving out and making phone calls. And so thank you, thank you, thank you. Like Timothy, like Paul brags on Timothy, I'm just bragging on my pastoral care team right now. I really, really appreciate all that you've been doing and are continuing to do in this time. And having said that, uh, just this week, I received a call. And I've got to be honest with you, when I, the phone rang and I saw the person who was ringing, I, I kind of got a little bit nervous. I, I did the whole, should I answer it, shouldn't I answer it? That, that, I know that makes me probably a bad pastor, and maybe uh, you've never done that, but I looked at the name, and I thought, oh, should I, should I answer it? Should I answer it? And I, and I just thought, oh, you know what, if I don't answer it now, I'll only have to ring back. And so, so I answered it, I said, hi, how are you doing? Great to hear from you. Uh, and uh, chatting away, and I was expecting a big ask. I was expecting something from them which we're here to do, but I was just, they just caught me at a time which actually wasn't very convenient. And, and so I was just umming and ahhing and I was like, okay, cool. Okay, and, I, and I'm waiting for them to get to what I thought was going to be a big ask on me. And then they just interrupted my thoughts that I was having to myself. And they said, I, I, just, I just rang just to see how you're going. Just want to say thank you for what you're doing. Really appreciate it. And I thought, wow. One, I rebuked myself for all those negative thoughts that I was having. But secondly, I realised, wow, that just felt really, really nice. And, and, and so um, I want you to know that care goes both ways. It's not just a receiving thing. It's also a giving thing. You see, Paul sent Timothy because he cared and he was willing to serve. And I believe one of the greatest things that we can do in a crisis like this is to serve others. The Bible says it this way, that those that refresh others will themselves be refreshed. And so I say all that to say this, don't wait to be served, but serve others. Maybe you're sitting back there and say, well, hang on, I haven't got a phone call yet. And again, we're getting to you, but don't just sit, with that, sit back with that mentality. Actually start calling others. Start sending a text. Start sending a card. Maybe buy someone a coffee. Let's not sit back and just waiting to receive because care is not just about receiving. Although I've got to admit, it was really, really nice to receive that care call for myself. But it's also involved in giving. So care is both giving and it is receiving. And I believe when the church resumes, and we're able to gather together again, we would love to see our volunteer base continue to grow as we look to serve one another. Why? Because it makes us more like Jesus. And two, it helps share the load. We can't live behind this notion, well, that's not my love language. Even if it's not our love language, like my wife, I mean, she's an incredible server by nature and by gift. It doesn't let us off the hook say, well, I'm not a server. No, we all have to choose to serve. Why? Because our greatest example, Jesus Christ himself, became a servant. And let's become a servant for no other reason, if for no other reason, because Jesus Christ himself did that. Thirdly, we see that uh, he was not only a servant, but he also sacrificed. In verse 8, we read that Jesus laid down his life and he paid the ultimate price for us. I want that to sink in this morning. You know, we can, we can get so familiar with the story of Jesus Christ and what He's done for us, but I want that to sink in this morning. He paid the ultimate price for you and He paid the ultimate price for me. And so it's great to have a seal moment. It's great to be able to gather around our screens and just remember 
Jesus. That's what church is all about. It's about remembering Him. That, that's actually what it's about, you know. It's interesting to me that on the day six, when God had created Adam and Eve, the very first thing they did in day seven, day seven, the first thing that Adam and Eve were asked to do was rest. And you could say, well, hang on, they weren't tired, they hadn't done anything. No, God was trying to establish that everything we do must come from a place of rest. And the place of rest was about reflecting on the goodness and greatness of our God. And so we go into our working week. We go into all that we're about to do off the platform that God is good. And as a result of Him being good, He does good. And this was set to us as a pattern from the very first human beings on the planet. And so this morning, it's an opportunity for us just to take some time out and, and not quickly worry about, let this service come up, get over quickly so we can get on with our work. No, it's a time to stop. And reflect and remember the ultimate price that Jesus Christ paid. Let our work this week come out of rest. Let it come out of a place of remembering the goodness and greatness of our God. And, and I, I believe this, this sacrificial life uh, is why Paul commends Epaphroditus, one of his fellow team members. Why? Because he put his life on the line. We read that in verse 29 of chapter 2, verse 30. Basically, he brought a gift from the Philippian church to Paul as he was in prison and he got sick. He got sick to the point of almost dying. And they got wind that their friend Epaphroditus was almost dying and this grieved Paul. One, because his friend was sick, but two, because of the pain people were experiencing. And so as he got better, Paul felt to send Epaphroditus back to them to show that he was okay. But he commends him. Why? Because he was a man who was willing to sacrifice to the point of almost losing his life. And I want to give a quick shout out right now to all the uh, medical profession right now, uh, because many of them quite literally yeah. are putting their life on the line to make sure that people uh, are being cared for and that this virus is being dealt with once and for all. And so for all those doctors and nurses and medical staff, we salute you. We thank you for what it is that you are doing to bring an end to this virus. And we're believing for a cure sooner rather than later. Amen? Fantastic. See, salvation is not cheap. I've said all that to say this. Salvation, though it is free is not cheap. And get this, and you might want to write this down. This is a good point. This is a good point. Following Jesus will eventually cost you something. Salvation is free. That day we put our hand up and received Jesus, it's happy days. But not every day is happy as we've been talking about through this series. Not every day is happy, but it can be joyful if we understand that following Jesus will eventually cost you something. The cost may be different and it will be different for each and every one of us. You know, for me, dealing with gambling was a real easy thing. There was no sacrifice for me to stop gambling. Do you know why? Because I'm not a gambler. I'm just, it's just not in my nature. It, 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 it was not something that interested me, uh, let alone grabbed me and, 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 and uh, got a hold of me. But for some others, that becomes something that's a, that's a real sacrifice. They've got, to, they've got to let go of the grip of that thing. And so, so whatever the cost is, it's going to be different for each and every one of you. But I do know this to be true, that eventually following Jesus will cost you something. And so when it comes to sacrifice, I would say this, start small and start early. In other words, if you pay the pennies, the pounds won't be so hard. 
Bible says if you're faithful with the little, then you can be trusted with a lot. One thing we instilled in our kids from a very early age is the principle of tithing, giving back your first fruit to God. And even when they receive some pocket money from us, we got these little jars and, and we put in 10% for the tithe, 10% for the offering, 10% for saving, and then they could spend the 70%. We got this in place when it was just a dollar and that dollar was split up into 10%, 10%, 10%. And uh, as a result of them doing it with the pennies, now that they've got a job, particularly our older two, it's not as sacrificial because they learned to do something in the small and they learned to do something early. Following Jesus will eventually cost you something. And so I would simply say, start small and start early. And my last point this morning is simply this. When it comes to the example Jesus set in the last part of chapter uh, 2, verse 8, it says he suffered. It highlights not only that he died, not only that a sacrificial death, but it was even death on a cross, which was the most painful way for someone to suffer and die at that time. And even now, it would be right up there with one of the most gruesome ways in which you could have your life taken from you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 simply says this, it's for the joy set before him that he endured the pain, that he endured the cross. He endured the pain, the shame and the blame. Why? For the joy that was set before him. In other words, he never enjoyed the pain. I mean, if you start enjoying the pain, there's something wrong with you. you don't, we're, not, we're not asking you to enjoy the pain. We're saying endure the pain. Yeah. Yeah. The joy comes because of what comes out of it. As Kath mentioned earlier, I had the incredible privilege to talk to Pastor Danny at our Live at Five segment on Instagram this week. And uh, we got talking about pain and, and he used this language. He said, pain is the forgotten theology. It's something we don't talk about in church life. And I asked Danny, how do you handle the pain of ministry? And anyone in ministry knows there is pain attached to ministry. And his answer blew my mind. It was so simple and yet so profound. He said, Tony, when it comes to pain in ministry, how do I handle it? I'd simply expect it. And he elaborated on that a little bit more. But I thought, wow, what an incredibly profound answer. How does he handle it? I just expect it. In other words, it happened to Jesus. And so it's going to happen to us. In other words, pain is part of the journey. So embrace it. And if we understand it's part of the journey, it won't be so tough or so hard when it comes. And so if you came into Christendom on a no pain understanding, you were sadly mistaken. Why? Because anything worth something has a measure of pain and suffering attached to it. If you want to build your body, you go to the gym and you'll see signs, no pain, no gain. You can't change and transform your body without a measure of pain. In order to get the gains, you've got to endure the pain. One of the greatest joys of my life is raising three incredible kids. But I'm going to be honest with you, it hasn't always been easy. In actual fact, there are moments that have been incredibly painful. We've been felt incredible pain. But what I can say as I've watched them get older, oh my gosh, it's so worth it. Seeing our children grow into the incredible young people that they are is such an incredible joy. And I believe this is the joy that Paul was talking about. It's the joy that we've seen in our kids going through the pain and seeing the joy as a result. By way of example, just the other day, I got this text from Geordie, which is pretty much her regular 
texts and she'll say, hey dad, is it okay if I use the gym today? Now for those of you who may not know, Jordan got married in January and has since moved out of home. And uh, she still likes to train. And because all the gyms are shut, she comes around our house because we have a home gym. Now you would think as my daughter, she would have right and access just to come anytime she wants. And, and as a dad, she has that right. But as a daughter, she, she doesn't want to take that for granted. As a daughter, she wants to ask every time just to make sure that today's okay. I know yesterday was okay. And I've actually asked about this. I said, why, why do you keep sending me a text? Because I know every day is different. And while it was okay yesterday, it may not be okay today. Yeah. I, I may walk into you and mum, you know, doing something. Who knows? Who knows why? But, but I want to make sure that it's okay today. And I thought, wow, this, this is amazing on many levels. One, because it wasn't always like that. I was thinking about it. When Jordan was about 18 months and she went from her cot to a bed, 18 months, two years. I can't even remember exactly what age that was, but it's somewhere around there. And uh, this little girl, we'd, we'd put her in a bed, but she didn't want to stay in a bed. At least in a cot, she was trapped. But, but when she had a bed, she could get out and she'd just wander into the lounge room. I said, hang on, I, I thought I'd put you to bed. And the attitude was that she's not tired. I'm saying, oh, that's, that doesn't matter because we're tired of you. We want you to go to bed. Uh, and so we put her back to bed. And, and I, I remember this one night, I thought, we're going to win this battle. And, and can I just say to all the parents out there, particularly with young kids, this is what parenting is. It's pick a fight and win it. That, that's parenting 101. Pick a fight and, and win the fight. And so I said, we, she is not coming out of this room anymore. And because we didn't have a lock on the outside of the door, uh, I put her to bed and Catherine and I stood on the other side of the door and we held the door. And, uh, you know, she's this little girl, two years old, whatever she was, banging and crying. I'm like, I want to get out on it. And we're like, she's not coming out. She's not coming out. And Kath's crying. I mean, it's painful. It's painful. And I'm watching my wife cry. I'm listening to my daughter crying. Am I the world's worst parent? It's painful. Anything that's worth it can be painful at times. There's a measure of suffering to anything that is worth it. As so I'm holding this door, I'm holding this door, my hand's getting tight. I say, okay, I need you to hold the door now. Just hold the door. And this went on for about half an hour. And eventually, that little girl on the other side of the door got quieter and quieter and quieter until she eventually went to sleep. And I had to push the door open and, and, and drag her out behind the door and put her into bed. And I'm so grateful, uh, not because of that moment. I didn't enjoy that moment, not at all. But the joy is what's been produced as a result of that. So to all your parents, particularly with young kids, keep going, don't give up, don't give in. You see, Paul's not asking us to enjoy the pain, but to endure it. And in the end, it'll be worth it. And that's where the joy comes from. Just concluding very quickly, the result of Jesus' example and his attitude meant that God exalted him to the highest place. And I believe he'll do the same for you today. He'll lift you up if we will follow the example and adopt the attitude of Jesus. Can we pray together? And we're just going to close our time together just with a, a, a bit of time of just singing. That'd just be phenomenal. Father, we just thank you for your incredible goodness to us. We thank you that uh, there's incredible joy to be found in the midst of pain, suffering, and circumstances and situations such as we're facing today. And I pray for every person online tuning in right now that they would have strength to endure. They wouldn't give up, they wouldn't give in, but that we'd remember that you are good 
and that you do good things because that's the nature of who you are. So I pray you'd strengthen brothers and sisters, you'd strengthen family members, you'd strengthen marriages, you'd strengthen each and every one of us today in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone at home said. Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 